Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Chapter 8 of John is so monumental. I mean, what happened? in chapter eight, you really see the Lord when he was pressed and squeezed and pressured, really under the threat of being killed. Okay, we're gonna see that. And all these wonderful truths came out as he reached out to these people. So start with me in John chapter eight, verse 36, so we can just get the background of all this when he said, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the works of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? For he that is of God heareth God's word. You therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father and do dishonor me. I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he will never see death. Then said Jesus unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest, If a man keep my same, never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom gets thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If my father had honoreth me, of whom might you say that he is your God? Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. If I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him, keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to stone at him, to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out in the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And here's our verse. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
I mean, wow, this was some chapters, chapter eight. And so this is the verse they really want to, there's so much in it when you see the context when it says that verse one, and Jesus passed by, he saw a man that was blind from his birth. Now, you know, you read a verse like that and you say to yourself, so what's the big deal? What's the big deal at that verse? You know, it's walking by, he sees a man that's born blind. Okay, fine, let's get to the heart of the, me- the story. But really, there's three words in there that speak a lot to us. And the three words are as, and saw, and blind. Okay, first we look at the word as. Now, again, you look at the word as, and you gotta see what's before it. We miss so much in the Bible by these chapter breaks and verse designations. So that's all recent stuff. That's all recent because really the books are one continuous document. They just go along. There were no, there are no chapter breaks in the original. There are no verse numbers. It's all added. So the problem is when we have these chapter breaks is that we sit there and go, okay, whew, now that was one section. Now we go to the next section. But the word as in this verse one, it ties it back to what just happened in chapter eight. And so that's the reason why I read all of that part in chapter eight, because it includes this intense encounter with the enemies of the Lord. He starts off and he says, as we read, if the son therefore shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. Free from what? Free from what? Of course, they're gonna say, oh yeah, well, free from the Romans. That's what we always wanted. We wanted to be free from the Romans. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is a freedom from deception. It's a freedom from the lies that they believe. What lies? It all centered around this issue of Abraham's seed. That that was what their lie. They believed that if they were Abraham's seed, that they would automatically be accepted by God. They relied on this lie that just because they were born Jewish, that they were automatically guaranteed a place in heaven. That's what the rabbis teach today. And so he was teaching them, look, you've got to understand, he's teaching them. It's wonderful about the Lord. When you look at Acts chapter one, it says, and Luke says, you know, this former treatise, O Theophilus, have I written to show what both Jesus began to do and to teach. This is what we're getting in the gospels, what he did and he taught. And he was always doing and teaching. So he's teaching here and he's telling them, says, now look, he's instructing them. You've got to understand this essential difference between the two words, seed and children. Seed and children. This was what was playing down back and forth in this passage we've just been considering here in chapter eight. This conversation, it's all about, they say seed, he says children. And they're trying to muddle it. No, there's no difference. They're saying there's no difference between seed and children. He's saying, oh, there's all the difference in the world. There's all the difference between heaven and hell when you talk about seed and children. And so he comes at them in verse 37. He says, I know that you are Abraham's seed. No contest, you are Abraham's seed. He's teaching them, I know that, no issue there. You are the seed of Abraham. He says, no, but wait a minute, in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So in other words, he's raising this big difference between seed and children of Abraham. He's trying to get them to see this great difference between seed and children. He's trying to get them to see the difference between progenitor, Abraham, and father, Abraham. And he's teaching them this because he's really telling him, saying, look, if you continue to rely on this deception, if you continue to rely on this lie that just because you are the seed of Abraham and you don't have to be the children of Abraham, then you will be cast into hell. That's the issue here. And this is the greatest need today among the Jewish people, to be freed from this blindness just from being born Jewish. It means a person's going to automatically go to heaven. That's a lie. 
And so he's saying, the son can make you free from that deception, free from that blindness. You know, we're going from a spiritual blindness in chapter eight and to a physical blindness in chapter nine. That's all blindness. And this is the worst blindness. And so when we come to the word as in this verse one, this is all included. Then there's this big discussion about father. He said, now you do that which you've seen with your father in verse, verse 38. And then verse, verse 41, he said, you do the deeds of your father. And then verse 44, he said, you are of your father, the devil. That's a little inflammatory. And then in verse 47, he says, you are not of God. You are not of God. So what's he doing here? It says, you know, John 3.17, the verse right after John 3.16, where it says that he was not sent to condemn the world, but to save the world. So it's not he's coming here, he's condemning them. He's trying to save them. He's pleading with them. Look at your actions. And look what you're doing. Look how you are hopelessly trapped. Look how you are hopelessly blind to the fact that the devil is your father. So when he said that, of course, that incensed them, and they wanted all the more to kill him. And when he said the devil was their father, then he said, okay, now look, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, and he never was in the truth. He never abode in the truth. He's not of the truth. So the very fact that you're trying to kill me, he's saying, you can see that, that you're following your father, the devil. And so the enemies here, they could see physically, but they couldn't see spiritually. They couldn't see these truths. They, they couldn't understand. The sight in their understanding was blind. It was darkened. So they had what we would call fatal deceptions. They had fatal deceptions. And so even though they were, he's holding out his hands to them, trying to rescue them from their fatal deceptions, they're trying to kill him. So instead of receiving his help, they resort now to some really strong accusations, strong defamations, strong slandering. Is the only way you can, in verse 41, when they say, well, we be not born of fornication. All right, here's the old low blow. Here's the low blow of accusing his mother Mary of immorality, and he's illegitimate, and he's born of fornication outside of marriage. That's what they're doing. I mean, just think how disturbing that accusation would be for the Lord to hear. And so the intensity is mounting. The drama is disturbing. It's getting more and more heated up. This is all included in the word as in verse 9. And then he says, okay, in verse 46, he asked them a very important question. You can just picture him looking over at the faces of everyone in the crowd. And he said, which one of you? Which of you convinceth me of sin? Which one? Which one? Which one has one sin that you can accuse me of? Which of you convinceth me of sin? When the Lord said that. What he was really doing at this point, this is so monumental in his history, because what he's really doing there is he's saying, all right, I'm laying it all out before you now. I'm laying my whole life out before you. You've been watching me like a hawk ever since I started my public ministry. And so, okay, okay, now you tell me of all your watchings of me, everything you've seen, which one of you can point out one sin that I've ever done? Now, why did he do that? Did he do that because you say, no, you know, I'm so great, I'm sinless? No, no, no. They didn't know what was happening here. But what was actually happening here is this was the qualification of the Passover lamb before it was killed. You know, there are four steps. When we think about the Passover, we need to think about four distinct steps in the Passover lamb. 
The first step was when Moses told Israel in Exodus chapter 12, it's all in chapter 12 of Exodus, but in verse three of chapter 12, Exodus 3, uh, 12, three, Moses said this, speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the 10th day of this month, you shall take to them every man a lamb. That was that part. Take every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So this first step was like the culling or the cutting out of the herd, the one lamb is the culling step. The first step is really the selection. That's the first step. It's the selection of the Passover lamb. You know, for 10 years, my family and I lived on a goat ranch. So it was quite a change, you know, coming from Beverly Hills and Bel Air to a goat ranch, but you know, that's what happened. So we had 300 goats living all around us, very close to us, sometimes a little closer than we wanted, but that was the way it was set up. You could open the bedroom door, you could throw a rock at any of them, but anyway, there were 300 goats all around us and 50 sheep. And I remember what it was like to sit there and lean on a fence and look at the herd and a herd of animals and to cull an animal out of the herd. And fortunately, I had three boys who did all the work, so I was the big boss, you know. And so I would say to the boys, boys, that one over there, see that one there? That's the one, see it? Get that one. That's a selection, that's a selection. In Exodus 12, three, when Moses, when it was said, take them every man a lamb, that was the selection step. That was the family going out to the herd, looking over the herd and saying, which one, let's see now, which one's gonna be our family Passover lamb? Oh, there it is, right there, there it is. See it, see it, there it is, right there. That's gonna be the Passover lamb. That's gonna save our family. That's gonna save our home from the death of the firstborn. So you can be sure that the firstborn was out there saying, make sure you do this right. And the family said, that one there, see it, that one there, that's the one, that's gonna be the Passover lamb for our family. That's the important first step, the selection of the Passover lamb. This selection of the Passover lamb, all this, you know, that one there, see it, that one there, that lamb there is gonna be a Passover lamb. That's exactly what has happened previously to the Lord when a representative for the family of man looked over the herd of humanity and as he looked it over there and he saw the Lord Jesus, he said, there he is, that one there, that's him, that's him. See him, he's gonna be our Passover lamb. That's John the Baptist. That was John the Baptist who was the representative of the family of man. And when he said in John 1, essentially what happened, he said the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist when he said that, behold the Lamb of God, he's saying, there he is, that one there, that's him. See him? He's gonna be our family of man, Passover lamb, which is gonna take away the sin of the world. So that was the first step, the step of selection. Now the second step is told by Moses in Exodus 12, five, Exodus 12, five through six, Exodus 12, five, where it says, your lamb shall be without blemish. That's an important part. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it under the 14th day of the same month. So after the selection of the lamb, then there were the three days when the lamb was so closely watched, and they watched that lamb for three days, and they wanted, because this is the step, the second step is a step of confirmation. Confirmation, confirmation of what? Confirmation that the lamb didn't have any blemish. So they're watching this lamb and they're making sure they don't see any blemish there. And if they did see a blemish, then they gotta say, okay, we can't have a family lamb. We have gotta go join another family, which was allowed. 
we got to go join another family and get under that family for the lamb. That's what they had to do. But they were watching carefully in this second step, and this is the step of qualification. Qualification, I said confirmation. It's really a step of either one. Qualification, where the lamb was qualified to have no blemish, and then he could be the Passover lamb. So this was the job of the whole family. The whole family was to look it over, and then you can imagine the father turning to each person in the family and say, okay, which one of you saw a blemish in this lamb? Anybody see a blemish in the lamb? Okay, which one of you convinceth this lamb of blemish? Okay, and that was a very important step. That was the second step that happened in order for that lamb to be qualified to die. That's what was happening in verse 46. They didn't know. But when he said, which of you convinceth me of sin? That was the second step of qualification for the Passover lamb. When the Lord Jesus, in essence, was asking the family of man, albeit his enemies, and he had not three days, but three years, which they had to look him over every aspect of his life. They were looking constantly. And now was the time when it was the qualification step. And so he says, which one of you have seen any blemish of any sin in my life? Do I pass the second step of qualification? That's what he's asking. And we can move on. And no one said a word. No one said a word in chapter 8. No one said a word, which means he passed the second step of qualification of the Passover lamb. Then the third step was the killing in verse 6, Exodus 12, verse 6, Exodus 12, 6, when it says, and the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill it in the evening. Every family kills their lamb. And as a third step, the killing. And then And that, of course, parallels with when the Lord was crucified in Matthew 27, 35, Matthew 27, 35, and they crucified him in Matthew 27, 50, Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So that was the killing of the Passover lamb. That was the third step, the killing. But there is a fourth step. There is a fourth and final step, and that was in Exodus 12, 7. Exodus 12, 7, when it wasn't enough just to select the lamb, just to qualify the lamb, just to kill the lamb. You had to apply the blood. You had to apply the blood on the two sides of the doorposts and over the top. You struck it. You struck it. The blood There's quite some scene, blood dripping, very bloody thing. Blood dripping on the sides of the door and over the top. That was the fourth step. That's application. And it's not enough that the Passover lamb was selected and killed and qualified and so forth like that. There has to be personal application of the blood to the house. And in the same way, it's not enough that the Lord Jesus died as the Passover lamb. Oh, I know he died. No, no, no. Blood has to be personally applied where each person personally applies his blood. Personally, what does that mean? Relies personally on his blood. And you know what the, what the real um, question is, if you want to find out if someone has done that or not? Just ask the question, what are you relying on to get to heaven? What are you relying on to get to heaven? If you ask the family, what are you relying on that the angel of death is not going to kill the firstborn? They said, well, you know, we're all good people. Okay, no, you failed, you know. What are you relying on? You go to the firstborn. What is your family relying on that you should not be killed? Oh, you want to go outside and see the blood? It's probably still dripping. He said, we put the blood. We're relying on the blood. Because God said the famous words in Exodus 12, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, relying on the blood. What is your reliance? What are you relying on that you're going to go to heaven? There's only one answer, nothing but the blood. 
nothing but the blood. So that's the personal application, and that's what's all encompassed in the word receiving, receiving him in John 1.12. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them gave he the authority, the power, the authority to become the sons of God, which were born of not of blood and so forth. So no one is ever saved without a personal reliance, application reliance on the blood of God on the blood of God. Remember last week we talked about that God loved the church and he purchased it with his own blood, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And no one's ever saved without relying on the blood of God. That's who the Lord was on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he was when he died. And so there has to be this reliance. So this, anyways, there's all this dramatic and intense encounter that's happening with his enemies in chapter eight there. And he, but he passes, he passes it and go on. But the accusations continue. In John 8, 48, they then say, well, didn't you say that if a person keeps your saying that you'll never taste of death? You know, they're starting to understand what he said. They're getting the message. He's offering to save them from hell. And then they go on and they said, they answered the Jews and said unto them, say not we well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil. Oh, boy. So now when he says thou art a Samaritan, the old accusation, you're not Jewish. You're not Jewish. It's amazing how the Orthodox groups in Israel, they, you know, they, some of them dress this way, some of them dress that way. The ones who dress this way say to the ones who dress that way, you're not Jewish. The other ones say, you're not Jewish. You know, so it's all there. So there's this accusation going on here. You're not Jewish. You're a Samaritan, which obviously is an accusation of who his mother, they're saying, was immoral with. You know, it's just very disturbing. And then, to top it off, they say, you have a devil. Oh, boy. Now we know thou hast a devil. See, these are very personally dishonoring accusations there. This is all part of the as in verse 1 there. And so, but it really heats up. It really heats up because he knows, as he's speaking to them, what's on his mind is that he knows they want to kill him. And he repeats this in verse 37. You seek to kill me. And then he says it again in verse 40. Now you seek to kill me. So he's looking at these. How would you feel if you were talking to people who are pointing a gun at you with their finger on the trigger? Okay, and they're just looking for the reason to pull the trigger. That's what it was. And he knew this so well. And this is part of what the ads in verse 1 there. And they're just looking to find a reason. And they're searching around and they're trying this, they're trying that, you know. And finally, when they get onto the subject of Abraham, oh, they found their reason. They found their reason. And when they said in verse 57, and then the Jews said unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? It's his response. It's his response where unquestionably he claimed to be the eternal God, the I am. When he said in verse 58, oh, Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, boy. When they heard that, they heard the claim of God. They, and then they found the reasons. And so verse 59 is it says, they took up stones to cast at him. Then they tried to kill him. And this is all part of the as in verse 1 there, chapter 9. And so then he just narrowly escapes from the temple by hiding himself in the crowd. He sort of slips in, blends in, you know, and in verse 59, then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. So he's just made it out of the temple by the skin of his teeth and by hiding himself in the crowd. He just made it out. I mean, if you were in that position, you just narrowly escaped being stoned to death, what would you do? 
you know, this is all part of the as of verse one. You'd say, I gotta get out of here. This is a little bit too much. You know, I'm pretty shattered by this whole conversation. I'm pretty disturbed by all these episodes then, and I just gotta get away and recover from the drama of all of this. Yes, normally what a person would do is say, I'm in no condition to minister to anybody, so I'm in a condition to get ministered to. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.